Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program for Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170 AM Sydney. Wherever you're tuning in across the network via the app, the Sydney weather forecast today well, showers and a possible storm. Doesn't look like it at the moment, but tops of 29 for the city and 32 in our west. So it's a it's a busy one today. And again, we're going to pose a few questions for you. 0457 736 736 is the text line and 1300 01 1170 is the open line. And I want to know first up, what would you change in rugby league? Now, there's a fair bit of rugby league news around this morning, but what would you change I'll have the head of football operations, Graham Annesley, on the line in about half an hour's time. Funnily enough, there's actually not a lot to talk to Graham about as we lead into this season. We're yet to dig into a fair amount of drama. There have been some amendments for the rules, but nothing that's really jumped out and shocked a lot of people. We spoke yesterday about the preseason challenge and what you do to change a few things around that. But do you have anything on the table that we could put to Graham Annesley about changes for the season proper and are there anything or is there anything I should say in the amendments for the 2023 season rules that have you scratching your head they've made amendments around the grounding of the ball the intervention of bunker and foul play the 18th player rule the captain's challenge offside infringements at scrums basically off the back of that there will be a full penalty awarded rather than a set restart for offside scrum infringements by the defensive team. That's not a bad one at all. 10-metre compliance in general play and adjudication of completed tackles. So this was put out. It's all there on the website. You can go and have a look at what they're going to be doing in 2023. So what would you change? And are things as bad as they seem when you hear reporting and see reporting in the world of sport? Because there are a few things that look pretty bad across the board this morning. And I want your opinion on whether or not you think they're as bad as they seem. Because there are some that we know the answers to and some that are remaining up there. So let's start with that. Because a report this morning via Twitter, in fact, from Fox Sports' Cody Kay has set the rugby league world alight. He's reporting that Ryan Pappenhausen is now facing a mid-season return at best for the Melbourne Storm. This would be a massive, massive setback if we're looking now at a mid-season return at best. Now, I'll take you through what's happened with Ryan Pappenhausen. Back in July 17 last year, which was round 18 against Canberra, he fractured his patella in 10 places. The Storm say that this report's not factual. They say nothing has changed since the initial diagnosis, which is... We could have him back by round six at the earliest, which would be against the Roosters in April. That'd be 263 days since Ryan Pappenhausen uh, last played a game of footy. He's since been over to the US to Bill Knowles and he's joined the list there to try and get himself right. But there's something going on. Ryan Pappenhausen is certainly not coming back in the first four or five weeks of the competition. 
there are reports out there that it's mid-season return. The Storm say nothing further to see here, folks. But there's something going on. And it leads to a further question. Are things as bad as they seem, possibly at the Melbourne Storm this year? Justin Ollum's going to miss the first month of the competition with a fractured arm. George Jennings, available round four. He had an ACL injury last year. Tarek Sims, they're saying, will be available in the early rounds. Marion Seve, return date TBC. Then you add the outs for the Storm for this year. Brandon Smith gone. Jesse and Kenny Bromwich gone. Felice Kafusi gone. The Storm finished fifth last year. If Ryan Pappenhausen doesn't get back on the field until mid-season, or at least in round six, they're saying at the earliest, are they in danger of missing the eight for the first time in a heck of a long time? 2010, they finished last because of the salary cap. So let's put a asterisk next to that one. The last time the Melbourne Storm missed the eight was 2002, 21 years ago was the last time that they missed out on the top eight. Like I say, they finished fifth last year. But I tell you what, if Ryan Pappenhausen isn't going to be there for a big chunk of this season, and the players that I've just mentioned are already missing, plus you've got those on the injury list, they're not the sole club to face this kind of scenario. But it does pose a question. Do you think things are as bad as they might seem at the Melbourne Storm. Let me know your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. Are things as bad as they seem down at the Winning Post Motel out there at Mudgee? This is rugby league at its best, folks. The old Winning Post Motel at Mudgee. Just happily and quietly going through life as a nice little motel in a beautiful little place. And then, bingo, rugby league arrives. And the old 6am minor scuffle, uh, full as boots, Michaeli Ravalara and Zane Musgrove are the players that end up in a scuffle. Now, they're not going to be suspended. The club um, has said that, yes, they haven't lived up to the standards of the club. You've seen and heard it all before, and we know the fact that like, it probably just is what it is. They came back home. They're rolling around. They have an argument over whatever, and they're two big footballers who are having a bit of a wrestle and making a fair bit of noise. The club allowed the players to go out on the drink after losing to the Rabbitohs in the Charity Shield, 42-24. The Dragons have the buy in round one, so apparently that's the reason behind it. So we've got the buy in round one. First game against the Titans will be on March 12th, so now's a good time to go out and have a few drinks. Are you you with me here? It, It ain't the biggest thing. Things aren't as bad as they seem here, or are they, if you're a Dragons fan? Are you worried about it? Because you've seen this movie before. You know the situation St. George Illawarra are in. Two players on the cans having a bit of a scuffle at a motel. Read not much into it until you put it into perspective. Until you put it into perspective, they just lost the match against the Rabbitohs. Sure, they've got a buy in round one. Are there better times to say, yeah, yeah, go out in the drink? Or do you just go, let's go back to the motel. Let's jump on the bus in the morning. Let's get back. Let's debrief this loss. Let's think about this in the situation that the club's been in. We've seen this movie before with a barbecue. Do we need to go through this again? Possibly not. Is it the biggest thing? No. Could it have big dramas? Maybe. Is it a bad look? Yeah. But should you earn the right to party off the back of a 42-24 loss? in a charity shield match when you've probably got some bigger issues to 
think about as the season gets underway, your season gets underway in round two, I think the answers are pretty clear to that. So as things are things as bad as they seem, Dragons fans, let me know. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Uh, are you worried about it? Or is it just the old storm in a teacup? Move on. Nothing to see here, folks. I'm inclined to think both, actually. Yes, storm in a teacup. Like I say, two footballers getting back late at night or early in the morning. Bit of a hassle. If it's anyone else but the Dragons at the moment, it's probably not a story. Then we get to signings. Dominic Young is supposedly locked in, ready to rumble at the Roosters as of 2024. So he's informed the Knights reportedly that the deal is done. Dom Young um, saying no to the Dolphins, no to the Gold Coast Titans, and yes to the Roosters. So what happens at the Roosters when he arrives? Daniel Tupo off contract at the end of this year. He's played 223 games for the Roosters. He is set to become their all-time leading try scorer this year. So another six. He's behind Anthony Minicello, who's first with 139 tries. So we know what Daniel Tupou has and is at the Sydney Roosters. Then you've got Joseph Suoli'i, has a player option at the club for 2024. He'll be playing centre this year, and we know that Rugby Australia would be just lining up and everybody else in the league would be lining up to sign him. So what do the Knights do with Dominic Young this year? And what do the Roosters do when he arrives at them next year? Are things as bad as they seem for Newcastle missing out or losing out on Don Young? And are things as bad as they look possibly for a bit of a reshuffle at the Roosters? Or do you think it's just like for like? Do you think that that's a good signing? Let me know your thoughts on that one in cricket. Now, the fallout continues from this second test. Read the reports or hear the reports in the last 24 hours. Players sent packing. They're all jumping on a plane and going home. That's kind of the headline that was coming out. The fact, Australia had a planned four-day break in between tests. It's not the first time that players pack their bags in the middle of a test series and leave the country and take off, especially in India. So that's not that's not the, the reality of this. The reality is that Pat Cummins is heading home because of family illness. We know that. He will return for the third test. The reality is Josh Hazelwood... Hasn't played since the SCG test. Hasn't recovered from that Achilles injury. So he's coming home. What point is there sitting around not being able to do anything in the nets or on the ground? May as well come home. The series is gone, folks. David Warner, fractured elbow. We know that his position is uncertain at the moment. And then there's Ashton Agar. Hasn't played. By all reports, he's down on confidence in net bowling. But Andrew McDonald denies he'll go. I'll get to that in just a sec. Now, out of those, David Warner would be the only player who took part in the first two tests who would be missing if they all do jump on a plane and come home. And Davey Warner would leave behind scores of 1, 10 and 15. The ins, Cameron Green. He'll replace Matt Renshaw, who just didn't strike a blow in his three innings. Mitchell Stark working back to full fitness. So both of those players coming back from injury. And, of course, Mitchell Swepson returns after the birth of his first child. So those three would have been coming back anyway and quite possibly coming in anyway, regardless of the second test result and the fallout from it. And then there's a possible Cameron Bancroft. He could open with Usman Khawaja. So 
whilst it looks bad off the back of what happened, they're jumping on a plane, the skipper's coming home, they're all coming home. The fact is that out of all of those that would possibly be coming home, because we don't know about David Warner, he'd be the only one missing from those that have played. And Green, Stark and Swepson were more than likely going to come on back in anyway, or definitely back into the squad. So what's your possible team for the third test? Is it as bad as it seems? Well, the sweeping was, we know that. But is is it as bad as it seems when you look at who's going to come back in? So the possible team for the third test would be Kawaja opening. If Warner's not there, they're going to stick with head. They'll stick with head opening. Then you've got Labashane Smith. Green will come in. Hard to move on Peter Hanscom. 72 not out in that last test. Carey stays. Cummins comes back. Mitchell Stark comes in. And then you've got the option of Murphy or Swepson plus Nathan Lyons. So really there's not too much of a change. And I think, especially after our discussion yesterday, and I'm sure we'll continue it today, does the team need to change or does the team mindset need to change? Back to Ashton Agar. Hasn't done a thing since he's been there. I did hear a report the other day that hasn't been bowling with confidence in the nets, hasn't got a look in. We spoke to Stephen O'Keefe yesterday and Socky said, well, I'm a bit surprised. I'm a bit surprised that you wouldn't be moving on Ashton Agar. That has been backed up by Adam Gilchrist. Have a listen to this on Gilly speaking on SENWA. I mean, what of Ashton Agar? I uh, don't know whether. I mean, there's been sort of murmurings that he might be on a flight on the way home because he might feel like he's surplus to requirements over there. And I can understand why without being in the camp and knowing the finer detail as to why he wasn't picked. But it's, it's a pretty big insult that I know from from touring, you know, and being on a lot of tours, uh, you just felt that if you were picked on the tour as a first member pick in a, in a broader squad, you know, if there's an injury or something, unless it's a pretty extreme like for life that has to come in, you, you generally expected the, the guys that were the sort of first reserves to step in. And, um, uh, yeah, so that's a bit, of a, a bit of a body blow for him, I would imagine. Yeah, so what happens next for Ashton Agar? Um, Ian Healy said yesterday, well, is there any point in him sitting around doing nothing? So back to another player jumping on the plane, Shock and outrage that he might be jumping on the plane heading home. But what purpose do you serve sitting around? If you're not bowling any well in, in the nets, what purpose sitting around doing nothing throughout the game? She could be back here getting your confidence back. So perhaps that's one thing to take a look at. Then, of course, we think about the tactics. Now, Andrew McDonald has sat down with Barat Sundarayson for the SEN podcast and had this to say about the Australians' tactics in that second test. No, we, we don't necessarily have sort of team batting plans. It's more individual. Yeah, to say that it was a team plan to go out there and play that way would be false. I think a few players got away from what makes them really good players um, in that moment. And, you know, was it pressure or was it perceived pressure? I'm not sure. Or were we just hurrying towards that total that we wanted to to set up for, for, for India to, to chase and to have great pressure on them. So it'd, it'd be a combination of factors, um, but ultimately there was some poor decisions. Yeah, it's, it's a balance, I think, defence and, and attack. So probably got the balance wrong. It's hard to get a read on that, isn't it? Help me through that one, folks. Help me through it. I mean, this is without the benefit of their full-blown review and they'll dive through the statistics and they'll probably look at that sweep shot percentage and go, we got that wrong. If it wasn't a team plan, why did the majority of the team decide to do it did they all think that sweeping was good 
or was it a collective mindset that they all went out there? I don't know what to read into that from Andrew McDonald, but as are things as bad as they seem? Is it time to cool our jets with the Australian test team? Let him get away. <laughs> Let him get out. The series is done. It's dusted. What, what do they serve now? What purpose does it serve to come on back and level up the series? Aside from the world challenge, you know, the, the, the world rankings, do we want to be part of that? I mean, I think things are going to have to go spectacularly bad not to. Or is it time for something revolutionary? Fingers will be pointed left, right and centre. We know that. Individuals will be earmarked for removal. We know that. They're not going to tip the bucket out completely. They will more than likely try and steady the ship as much as they can, not make wholesale changes. But is it time for something revolutionary in Australian cricket? Or do we just cool our jets? An Indian series is an Indian series in India. It's the hardest thing you can do. The Ashes series begins on June 16. And that's got to be the next focus, has it not? Sure, they've got to try and right the ship for the third test and the fourth test, but it ain't going to win the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Let me know your thoughts around that. We'll dig a bit deeper into that. Some good news in football this morning, broken by Adam Peacock, and we'll have a chat with Adam a little bit later. He's hosting the Global Game tonight. The Socceroos and Matildas have locked in games against England this year. So they're doing well football Australia at the international level. Matildas v uh, England. So it's coming up April 11 at Brentford Community Stadium. So it'll mean the Matildas will have played eight of the top 10 nations in the past two years. That's not bad. Then October 13, Wembley. Socceroos v England. It'll be the first time Australia will play at Wembley Stadium ever. We've played England seven times for four losses, two draws and one win. So things aren't as bad as they seem on the entire football front in Australia, the A-League might still be a bit of a different story and they have their troubles at all levels, like all sports do. But when you look at that, the Socceroos and the Matildas locking in games against England, good on them. Adam Peacock will join me. Graham Annesley will be my guest this morning. We'll catch up with Jaleesa Apps. Rob McCauley from Greyhound Racing, New South Wales, with some good news, especially around the Musselbrook uh, track, rather. That'll be opening very soon. So a big redevelopment down there. And your thoughts. We are underway on this Tuesday morning, 0457 736 736. Are things as bad as they seem? What changes would you like to see in rugby league land? And also the Melbourne Storm. Let's have a little bit of a think about where they're headed this year. Are you prepared to back them in or back them out of the top eight? 0457 736 736. That is our text line this morning and it's lighting up already. So be part of the conversation. Well, we've got a few threads going this morning. So jump on anyone that you want to be part of. Uh, Matty, heads up. As I mentioned, this uh, test series is far from over, says our texter. We need to win one of the next two to be in that championship final. So, yes, and I, I did put that out there. There's that championship final picture but there's the fact that this Border Gavaskar series itself for the trophy is gone. I mean, they're not going to go out and treat the last two tests any differently to the first two. Perhaps, hopefully, they do with their mindset. But you understand what I'm saying. But, yes, thank you for that text. But then the focus has got to turn very quickly to June and the Ashes. And you just wonder how many of this squad... We'll be thinking about that already. Uh, the Western Sydney Eagle, let's not get too upset about a winger leaving. Says they're not real footballers anyway. Come on a second. Uh, it does pose an interesting question, though, doesn't it, for 
what the Roosters do. And there's no doubt about it. Trent Robinson and co have got a plan. But what do you do there if you're the Roosters and you've got uh, Daniel uh, Daniel Tupo there, Joseph Suali'i, of course, and now Dominic Young uh, rocking up in 2024? Why can't the injured cricketers stay home until they're fit and then fly them over, says the Logan Warrior? Well, in the case of Cameron Green and Mitchell Stark, uh, I'm not sure of their departure date, but I'll check. But we knew that they were going to be okay by the time the second test came around. So finger injuries there. In the case of Josh Hazelwood, that was an Achilles injury. So I'm not sure if they thought that Josh Hazelwood was going to be okay for in time for the third test or just have him there because he's Josh Hazelwood. You want him as part of that squad. Now that that series is gone, what do you do? But clearly, it's a wait-and-see approach along the way. But the fact of the matter is that for this test, Green, Stark and Swepson, who came home because of the birth of his first child, are going to come back in. And they would have been coming back in to the squad, not necessarily the team, but to the squad anyway. And those that are leaving, well, Hazelwood's going to leave because he's not doing anything. Ashton Agar, they're saying nothing's happening there yet. Not sure about David Warner. And we know that Pat Cummins is going to go and come back. So it made for a really good headline. It got me, believe me, it got me. I heard it yesterday afternoon after we were off air. And then I went, hang on a second, Pat Cummins is flying home. And then once you read about it, you understand what's really happening. Time for the news. Graham Annesley will be my special guest soon. Thank you, Vanessa. Nine days until the start of the NRL season proper off the back of a pretty fascinating two-week pre-season challenge. On the line is the NRL head of football, Graham Annesley, who joins us for the first time this year. G'day, Graham. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for your time this morning, and I I hope that it's going to be a regular chat that we have. Uh, I was saying at the very top of the show, it's, it's an unusual start to the season in your world because there doesn't seem to be a lot of drama around. Have you, have you noticed <laughs> in your world, right? I'm just saying in your world, what you're in, what you're in control of. Have you felt that? Yeah. That's, well, yeah, look, it's been pretty smooth, I've got to say. I mean, although it's a bit like the calm before the storm in many cases. I'm sure we're uh, not that far away from uh, controversy and yeah. all the usual issues that we have to deal with. Uh, that's the nature of our game because uh, many people see things differently. But, uh, yeah, it has been uh, smooth. We've uh, we've had a good review at the end of last season. We've uh, liaised with all of the stakeholders, uh, overwhelming uh, response was that we should not change too much in the game, that it's in pretty good shape, and the Commission have responded to that, and we've just made some minor tweaks going into the new season. Do you think that there's a little bit of uh, the feedback around that, Graham? on, um, because there's been sort of, okay, the NRL's knee-jerk in its response. They, they make decisions on the run. Was there a little bit of that, or do you think that you've possibly found a bit of a sweet spot in, in what you don't need to change? Yeah, I think there's a. Uh, it's more the latter than the former, right? You know, obviously, what has happened over the last few years with COVID meant that we had to do a lot of things differently. You know, we we did have to make decisions on the run. Uh, you know, packing up the entire competition and moving it to Queensland, uh, suspending it when COVID first broke out, and then uh, having to make a plan very quickly about how we got back on the field to keep the game alive financially. Uh, all those things, uh, you know, were decisions that had to be made on the run. Uh, because we were experiencing in an environment that no one had ever been through before. Uh, 
so that did give us the opportunity to make some other changes. It gave us the opportunity, to, for example, to go back to one referee. It gave us the opportunity to put bring in uh, a raft of rule changes to try and make the game more exciting uh, for our broadcasters and our fans who watch the game, either live or on TV. So uh, all of those things have played into that. But I think we have hit that uh, sweet spot that you mentioned. Uh, the game, uh, you know, has never been more popular, and uh, and I think everyone wants to see a period of stability now where everyone can adjust to the changes that have happened thick and fast over the last few years. The newest thing that we've seen is that pre-season challenge. We discussed this at length on my program yesterday and had a look at the whys and what fors. What do you think you can do better with the pre-season challenge next time around? Well, I think it's been an outstanding success. I mean, at the end of the day, these are trial matches. Clubs use these trials to ch- to tune up for the uh, season itself. Uh, but we've put a lot of interest into the trials. Uh, they've all been televised uh, on Fox Sports. And uh, so everyone, all the fans have had an opportunity to see their, their teams preparing for the new season. But we've also put some interest into it, into it with... Uh, um, playing for money, so there was $100,000 up for grabs. Uh, there We had to come up with an innovative scoring system because it only ran for two weeks uh, and I think that worked really well. I mean, it went re- literally down to the wire and was ultimately only won by one point. Uh, so all of those things I think have worked well. We had St Helens, of course, over here for the World Club Challenge, which, uh, you know, we, have, we guess there's been World Club Challenges held in Australia before, but they've never formed part of a tournament uh, at the uh, in the opening to the season. So uh, can things be better? Yeah, they can always be better. Um, so, we, you know, we'll look at what's happened over the last couple of weeks and, and talk to the club some more, get some feedback and, uh, and see if we can't even make it better next year. Could we streamline the count of the offloads, for instance, because that's what it came down to, but we had broadcasters with their numbers and you, your stats guys with, with your numbers. Is there a way that we can, if you're going to go down that road again, could we amalgamate those so at least we know what the number is? We don't have to wait around till we get the clarification. Yeah, look, I think there's a little bit of confusion about that over the over the two weeks, and you know, I'm sure we can do that a little bit better. But you know, the NRL stats uh, is the official stats of the game. Uh, broadcasters can at times, well, in fact, do their own stats, uh, but it's always going to be based on the official NRL stats uh, provider. And uh, I get think getting those coordinated uh, more quickly uh, is uh, it would be a great thing, so that we do now. Now, of course. Over two weeks, uh, as we said, we you know you're not necessarily going to get. It's not going to come down to the last game of those two weeks on all occasions. So uh, there's a bit of a there can be a bit of an anticlimax to the in the end of those two weeks. But again, we have to remember the purpose. Uh, we have to remember that teams are playing for points, and uh, and sometimes we'll treat it differently to others. I've got one text here, Graham, that that asks a, a question that I think I know the answer to. But why the weekly break or the week break between this and the start of the NRL? Have you ever been tempted to continue the role, the momentum from trial matches pre-season into the season proper? Look, I, I, that hasn't been discussed in any at any great length. I mean, it's traditional in our game that we do have a break after the pre-season before we start the competition. And I think that's primarily because we do play Thursday to Sunday. Uh, and, uh, you know, coming off the back of the pre-season, uh, if we were... To, 
due to start, for example, this Thursday, it's a very quick turnaround for clubs that uh, have played the weekend before. Now, I know that happens week in and week out throughout the season, but uh, it is a, a chance for teams to uh, regather, regroup, have a look at what's happened across the trials, and then make sure that they're in the best possible shape to start the uh, the season itself. So uh, the break has been a tradition. Uh, it, do we absolutely have to have a break? No, of course not. We could have kept going, but uh, I, I, there are no plans that I'm aware of to change that. What about the World Club Challenge? I mean, it was an outstanding success, an unbelievable game, but it's, it still was in within the framework of the pre-season challenge. Is there any way, obviously we've, we've got it back now, but is there any way of making that a standalone event next time around? Uh, well, it'll, it'll depend. I mean, it's a year-to-year proposition. I mean, we have to negotiate with the Super League. We have to negotiate with the with the winners of their competition. And of course, uh, in both comp cases, we don't know who's won the competition until much later in the year. So there's always a bit of a uh, uh, short turnaround in terms of putting that game together. Uh, but a lot will depend on uh, you know what sort of format we get run with next season for the pre-season. Whether we just repeat the, the format that we've had this year. Uh, whether the English team's interested in coming here. Whether the Australian premiers or the NRL premiers uh, have any interest in going back and playing in the UK. We have to remember that at the moment we've got an odd number of teams. So uh, either a team going to the UK from Australia or reverse, as we've just seen with St Helens coming to Australia, uh, gives us the, that even number of teams and allows us to play uh, all 18 teams in an even competition so over two weeks so that we don't have someone with a bye. Mm. All right, so we look ahead to the season uh, in nine days' time. And as I mentioned, no big changes, but amendments for the rules. So out of the rules that you've amended, the grounding the ball rule, and I ran through these a little bit earlier, the operation of the 18th player, bunker in foul play intervention. We've got the captain's challenge, a few amendments there. Offside infringements at the scrums, um, the 10-metre compliance in general play and the adjudication of completed tackles. What do you think was the What do you think was the key for you to to hit and to get right? What What was the biggest issue facing you? Do you think to amend? Well, I, I think uh, the offside infringements uh, and the compliance with the uh, with the ten meter rule is yeah. is always going to be the biggest challenge in our game. I mean, when you think about the number of play the balls that we have in every game, you know, there's uh, several hundred and uh, across the course of the game, that has the biggest impact. So teams are, are always trying to win the ruck. They're always trying to win the play the ball and uh, and dominate in that area. So, uh, and compliance in terms of trying to shut teams down when they're in possession, when teams are defending, uh, is always a challenge for referees. And in our game, I don't think anyone realistically expects that there'll be uh, all defenders uh, in line with or behind the referee uh, when uh, the ball is played in each ruck. Uh, It's just simply not possible in some cases for players to get back. Some players are retreating. Some players are in front of the referees uh, in an offside position and the play might go to the other side of the field and the referee decides not to act on it at that particular point in time. So there's a lot of discretion in terms of the... uh, uh, controlling the 10 metres and I think uh, the, the tweak that we've made is just to try and get you know that additional bit of distance between the teams so that the attacking team has the opportunity to do something with the ball without making a major change requiring players to be uh, to have both feet back in line with or behind the referee uh, is, is a, a relatively minor one that most people watching games won't even realise uh, but it's just that opportunity to have that extra split second of time for the attacking team. Is there one on-field issue that worries you more than others leading into this season? 
<laughs> um, no, not not uh, not nothing not that stands out. <laughs> um, um, because you know it's always very much a mixed bag. Uh, there's always controversy around either refereeing decisions or decisions of the match review committee, uh, decisions that are made at judiciary hearings, uh, medical decisions that are made. Uh, you know where the players are uh, required to sit out the rest of the game because of head injuries. All these kind of fall under my area of responsibility and in many cases, uh, as I mentioned at the very start of this conversation, Matt, people have different views on these matters. It doesn't mean that, they're, that they are necessarily right or wrong. Uh, it all comes down to uh, it's all in the eye of the beholder in many cases, particularly in very close decisions. Uh, but... You know, I would like to think that we can probably uh, get through the season with as little controversy as possible. But you know, I'm realistic enough to know that uh, that our game uh, will always have controversy. There will always be differences of opinion, and uh, what we have to try and hope and strive for is to ensure as much as possible that uh, unquestionable errors that are made are minimised as much as possible. Possible. And funnily enough, that you know, whilst it's the headache, it's what makes the game go round, and and you know that better than most of the Monday afternoon briefings back. Yeah, we'll be back. Uh, you know, we might uh, try and just uh, shake that up a little bit, but uh, it'll we'll still be dealing with the issues out of the, uh, the weekend. We might try and get a little bit more proactive with some of the uh, the trends and things that are happening in the game. But uh, yeah, we'll be back on Monday afternoons, and I, I think it's an important part of the transparency of our game. Whilst we will we'll get errors, and you know there are errors made in every game. There are errors made by players. There are errors made by match officials. I think it's important that uh, that we put our hand up and we acknowledge those. And then in, in in cases where we think, uh, for example, match officials or the match review committee have been criticised unfairly, uh, it's also important that we come out and defend those positions. Uh, but we have to do that openly and honestly, and um, and not defend just for the sake of defending. Uh, and uh, and acknowledge where errors have been made. So we'll continue to do that. And I think it's important feedback for the fans. Uh, you know, there are uh, many people that, that look for that information and um, we'll continue to provide it. It's a long season ahead, but you sound as though you're ready to rumble, Graham. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Matt. The NRL's head of football, Graham Annesley there. So we've covered a fair bit of ground, a fair bit of ground. Those Monday afternoon briefings, um, like I say, you know, they are the, the headaches that will come up through the season, funnily enough, is what makes the game go round in many, many ways. But the fact that we don't have any major changes, no new rule changes for 2023, do you think that's a good thing? Have you had a look at the amendments for the season? I've stepped my way through them. I'm happy to expand on any of those. Um, but do you think that that sort of says that situation's a little bit calmer than in the last couple of years. There's still going to be a lot going on and there's no point us having the discussion around the CBA, et cetera, with Graham. That's not his role. That's not his department. That's being looked after and there's talk around that Peter Volandis has stepped in there and my first reaction to that is, you know what, I reckon we're close. I reckon we're close to something. Um, If the big dog's coming in at the end, that means that the bone's ready to be chewed. So I reckon that we're going to get close to that. But when it looks, when you look at the operational side of it, at the refereeing side of it, at the adjudication side of it, that's Graham's arena. And I appreciate his time this morning. 0457 736 736 is the text line. Uh, Hit us up with any of your thoughts after this. 
Uh, a few of your text messages. Thank you, Paramat. Yes, some positive sport results. Molly Picklam and Jack Robinson claiming world number ones after the sunset pro over there. Well, when we left you yesterday, Molly Picklam was in that final and it only just started. So had to handball that one to Julian King, but she ends up winning, which was fantastic. She's now equal number one in the world with Carissa Moore. So they're on the same amount of points. And Jack Robinson, another good effort in uh, his performance after winning the opening. So he wins uh, the first round and collects six and a bit thousand points in the second round. So he's a couple of thousand points clear of Felipe Toledo from Brazil. But you're right, we've got Aussies one and one in the World Surf League's uh, men's and women's rankings after the first two events. And Tyler Wright is there obviously in third position after a strong performance across the board as well. So things are looking pretty good. Now, on the Dragons, this one, the Daggy Dragon has texted in. To whom it may concern, uh, e.g. Dragons players, some of your fans have invested many years in supporting you guys, so go and have a go. If you don't want to have a go, change the team because we can't, says the Daggy Dragon. Thank you for that. Are things as bad as they seem in that? Uh, no more than two people in a tackle. That's a pretty radical change. Gee, that tackle on Taylor May was pretty ordinary. Pretty ordinary, and it's ruled him out for the season. A rule change, stop the game clock when kicking for goal, penalties, or conversions. Uh, I've got to get my head around what the actual structure is around that game clock. But, yeah, uh, Matty, I know it sounds crazy, but my first change would be the captain's challenge. Change it to a coach's challenge. They have the ability to watch the replay and request a review of a call. Captain's challenge during play doesn't stop the issue of bad calls being taken out of the result. It simply gives fatigue players a chance to try and object to a dubious call. We should stop legit bad calls. We need the benefit of replay to do that. Hmm. Let me know your thoughts on that one because I I come and go with the captain's challenge. And when, you know, the introduction of the challenges in world sport has always just, it's never, I've never ever gone, yeah, I really like that. I don't know why. I don't know what grabs it, what I don't like about it. i tell you what I do like about it. The drama behind it. That's what I like about it. The, the, has he made the right call here? What impact is this going to have on the game if it goes wrong or right? And you talk about fatigue players. Are they making smart decisions in that sense? So if we made it a call that the coaches were going to make and they are only going to make it if they know the outcome, then we know the outcome. So we miss that drama. Thank you for the text. Uh, We'll be catching up with Adam Peacock uh, this morning. He's going to host the global game tonight here and has broken the news this morning that I brought to you about an hour ago that the Socceroos and Matildas have locked in games against England this year. April 11, the Matildas will play at Brentford Community Stadium and then October 13. What a massive, massive match this will be. Socceroos v England at Wembley Stadium. So we'll catch up with Adam and chat through that. Jaleesa Apps will also join us. She'll be on the road. So we'll get her take on a whole range of issues from rugby league all the way through to cricket. And what happens next for the Australian test team? Uh, for the, yeah, the Australian test team in the third test. By the way, the question I asked you this morning around the Melbourne Storm, are you worried that they might miss out on the top eight? Because I am. I'm worried. I haven't done my final top eight yet. I'm sort of piking out on that. Are you worried that the Melbourne Storm might miss out in the top eight? Well, 81% in our poll at the moment say, yes, they're going to be there. 81%. Let me know your thoughts around that. 
The news is coming up. Welcome back to the program. Wherever you are tuning in, there's a fair bit on our plate this morning. As always, the world of sport does not stop spinning. Jaleesa Raps will cover a whole range of issues for us. Rob McCauley from uh, Greyhound Racing, New South Wales, and Adam Peacock coming up in the show over the next couple of hours and your texts and calls. Don't forget, you can pick up the phone, give me a call. 1300 01 1170 is the open line number or 0457 736 736. A text that's just come in saying, I've got the best mail. Um, Moses will be announcing that he'll be at the Tigers this week. As in, he'll be announcing that this week. I'm taking it. He's not going to be at the Tigers this week. Um, okay, so Mitchell Moses, according to that texter, sort of goes into Rumour Tuesday, <laughs> um, is going to announce that this week. All right, we'll keep our eyes on that one. I, I did mention this morning the other whisper going around about Ryan Pappenhausen, so I reckon there's a little bit more to play out on this. And again, we're going off reports here, but Cody Kay from Fox Sports put out a tweet this morning saying we understand or he understands that mid-season return for Ryan Pappenhausen, who injured his patella in, what was it, round 18 last year, um, fractured it in 10 places, I mean shattered it, is now looking at a mid-season return. And the Storm have since been in contact with us uh, when Michelle Bishop was here this morning saying, no, 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 as per program, what we think is round six at the earliest. So that would be against the Roosters on uh, the 6th of April. I think it starts round six, that match, which would be 263 days since he last played. But there is some conjecture around whether or not Ryan Pappenhausen's going to make it back in time. Is it a mid-season? Is there more to it? And then that leads you to the question about the Melbourne Storm. And the one that I posed this morning, do you think they're in danger of missing the top eight? You can go to our uh, Twitter handle, at Matty White, S-E-N, and have a look at our poll there because the poll's running hot because no matter what, uh, I think players are in this lineup. Everybody's prepared to back the Melbourne Storm in. 81% at the moment say, yep, they'll be there. They'll be there in the top eight. They finished fifth last year. You've got to go back to 2002. Let's take out 2010. You've got to go back to 2002 to find the last time that they were not in the top eight at season's end. So along with Pappenhausen on the sideline, they've currently got Justin Ollum, George Jennings, Tarek Sims, Marion Seve. Those that have left the storm include Brandon Smith, Jesse and Kenny Bromwich and Felice Kafusi. But this is an organisation that doesn't mess around when it comes to the next man up. So are you backing them in or backing them out? We don't know what's going to happen with Pappenhausen, but we do know that he's not going to be there for the first five rounds at least. I I'm I'm I haven't done my top eight, but I'm leaning towards not having a spot for the Melbourne Storm in it. It's as crazy as it sounds, and I'm pretty sure I'll be proven wrong. <laughs> but just something's telling me that perhaps everything's starting to uh, pop up against them this year, and also some other teams are starting to put their hands up. I mean, the Bulldogs. What did they finish twelfth? Last year, you got to look at them as a top eight contender. The Broncos, Matty Johns saying the other day on this program that they look top eight material, especially the way that they got firing once Selwyn Cobbo got moving. The Dragons finished 10th. I don't see them in the top eight. Now, the Seagulls, trials are trials. We know that. 
But yeah, they looked much better. And let's not forget that it was the back end of the season when it all fell apart that ruined their run towards the top eight. And I think they're a different proposition this time around. So uh, I've got to find some room if I'm going to include the Bulldogs, Manly and Broncos in my top eight conversation. Someone's going to have to go. History tells us between two and three go each season. So the Panthers, they'll be there. The Sharks, they'll be there. The Cowboys and the Eels, so they were the top four last year. I can't see them missing out on the eight. The Roosters should be there. The Rabbitohs should be there. So that's six. That's six. Is that six on my list, Mark? Yep, that's six on my list. So if I'm going to push two out and put two in, just say I wanted to put the Bulldogs and the Seagulls in. Who goes? Well, it'd have to be the Storm and the Raiders because they're the only two teams left out of my reckoning. Have you done your top eight yet? <laughs> I, I don't normally, I, I leave it until as late as possible. And there are just too many variables. And I kind of wish that I didn't see a frame of the preseason because it did cloud my judgment. But let me know your thoughts. Do you find a spot for the Melbourne Storm in the top eight or not? At the moment, everybody's going against what I'm saying. I'm yet to put them in, but I'm yet to kick them out. <laughs> How's that for splinters? 0457 736 736. Uh, good morning, Matt. It would be wonderful if the wrestlers missed the top eight. Uh, but what make you think? What made you think that they may miss the eight? Well, the reasons that I've just outlined, some of those reasons that I've just outlined. But then you take the club, you take the coach. You know, there, there are compelling reasons both ways. That's why I'm yet to rubber stamp it. Todd Greenberg has had a bit to say this morning, as we know, former NRL boss, but now in charge of the Australian Cricketers Association. So the association that represents the players and the players are under scrutiny after the second test. Todd Greenberg has been on SEN in Melbourne this morning with Sam Edmund and covered a range of issues, including those players that will be heading home. Oh, look, I'd like to think that what we do is we're there to sort of help bridge that gap and support between us and the governing body. I mean, we're all aligned in trying to get the best out of the players and ensure they get well looked after. Um, and you're right, all of those players' names you just raised have got different individual challenges, whether they're personal or injuries. And, you know, I mean, I, I was at the MCG only a week ago and I was there watching the Shield game between Queensland and Victoria and Matt Kuhneman was bowling as a third change bowler for Queensland. And then, you know, within a week, he's opening the bowling for Australia. I mean, these... Mm. These changes that are being made at the moment in real time uh, are quite phenomenal. And that's why I think it has captured the interest in a lot of ways. There's names and players that haven't been seen broadly by the general public. And there's a great fascination with this series for for the challenges that we're going to confront. And ultimately, we will be defined as a team by how we, how we come back from those challenges. And the challenges are there. Smack bang in front of them, without question. It was always going to be a challenge to take on India in India. But the way that they fell apart is the big thing for Australian, for the Australian public, for the Australian sporting public and former players, former captains, everybody's jumping on that bandwagon because of that spectacular collapse and the reasons behind it. Then we look at the schedule ahead. Todd Greenberg's uh, thoughts on the schedule ahead for players that are covering tests, one-day internationals, T20s. You've got big I – mean, the schedule is jam-packed. So let's have a listen to some of those thoughts. The one part that I see is the challenge, and I've said this before, that I see in the next five to ten years are almost impossible 
for players to be three format players, either male or female. And, you know, it's going to be very difficult for players, both physically and I think equally mentally, to cope with the demands of the schedule to play all three formats. And those increasing demands are, are more and more, and the schedule we're looking at in the next 12 months sort of highlights that. And, and that's and that's OK. We just need to be a realisation of that and we'll need to have specialty built into how we deal with players and contracts. But, you know, the next 12 months, particularly with our women playing two test matches, one against England over there and then India at home and, you know, all of the test matches the men will play. Uh, I mean, this is probably the peak of interest for cricket in this next period of time. It's going to be wonderful, but it's going to be bloody hard too. Yeah, and I agree with him on that front. It is going to be very hard for those players. Do you think we're edging closer to the end of the days where we we have three format players? I mean, those that aren't on the healthy fat contracts or the good contracts have to go and make their money as much as they can, when they can, where they can. And you want to be across all three formats because it broadens your reach in terms of how much you can put in your pocket. So if you're the kind of player that can go from long format to mid format to short format and be successful at it and be in demand, then you want to keep that going as long as possible. But interesting comments from Todd Greenberg this morning. Let's get the thoughts of Jaleesa Rapps, who's on the line and heard those comments there from Todd. Good morning, J.A. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. So let's start with cricket. I want to talk to you about some rugby league issues, but let's start with cricket. And you just heard the, the thoughts there from Todd Greenberg. In the next five years, he reckons three format players across men's and women's it's just going to be too hard for them with the schedule. Do you think that's the way we're headed? Yeah, 100%. I actually feel like the the shorter format almost needs to be treated as its own sport. Even like if you look at, say, rugby and the rugby sevens, it's a different sport, isn't it? Because it is, like, in, in a technique way, completely different. We seem to see some of those shots sneaking into the test format, which I don't always think is great for test cricket when they're not played, as we saw on... On the week on the weekend when they're not played uh, when they should be like like the sweep shots that we we saw but um, just in terms of the scheduling you can't possibly be good at all three and you can't be captain of all three and I don't think you could be coach of all three either I think it just needs to be T20 needs to be treated as its own sport in terms of ODIs I fear that particularly now that they're behind a paywall. And really, they only are relevant around a World Cup. I don't think there's huge interest in ODIs generally. Mm. I thought, to be fair, Jaleesa, I thought that ODIs would be the things that, that would be would be the format that goes out the back door. I thought, honestly, that yeah. by now ODIs essentially would be dead. But you're right; around the the World Cup period, they had their relevance. Um, so, if you're a modern day player, or if you're a player coming through in the next five years, perhaps you try and work out. How I be, it's almost like the, the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. How do I be a player that can go the long format of the game, your Sheffield Shield test match cricket, and then how can I adjust to be a T20 impact player? And if anything, you'd probably forget about the middle one, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. I think the middle one is kind of, the ODIs are going to become one of those things where it's a bonus if it falls in with nice scheduling and everyone's available but I don't imagine that they're anything that you prioritise. It really depends on what you're motivated by. If you're motivated by money, you would be being a T20 player. You would focus all your energy on becoming a T20 player and playing all the leagues around the world that you can. I imagine most people are still motivated by being a test player and and being an Australian test player is the pinnacle for 
most people, but I think it will get to the point where if you're not a if you're on the fringes of that test player, maybe you maybe you gamble and just become you know that real specialist T20 player and live a good life on all the money that's going to be made. It'll be really interesting to see what happens in the women's space in this area because particularly with the IPL, like the women's has generally been, you don't have to pick because simply there's not that many fixtures. And now I think after the IPL, the women's IPL, there's going to be all these T20 leagues that pop up around everywhere. Um, and it'll end up being in the same way as well. And it worries me for the WBBL. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you've got to follow the money. That you know, you you follow you the money to. in sport. Yeah. And if you want to know where the trends are, follow the trend of the money as well. Where's the money coming in? That'll be where the players will be going. What have you made of the fallout of the second test? Um, I, I worked through exactly the, the facts behind those that are jumping on a plane to come back and those that will be brought into the squad and coming back in. So whilst it sounds shocking and scary that Paddy Cummins is coming back, we know that's for personal reasons. While it sounds shocking that Josh Hazelwood might be coming or he's coming back, he hasn't been able to bowl since the Sydney test, essentially. So really the ins and outs, are kind of they kind of equal themselves out. We knew that they were happening or that they were going to come to us. And in Paddy Cummins' case, um, he will be back in time for the third test. So do, what have you made of all the noise around the last couple of days? Well, Josh Hazelwood really didn't surprise me at all because he has been uh, struggling um, with injury a, a bit, we know. So that that didn't shock me. And you want to get him particularly right to head into England. So um, when you can't win um, the series now, I, it doesn't, and, and he isn't right to bowl at the moment, then it doesn't surprise me him coming back. David Warner's um, an interesting one because I found the chat around talking about his concussion potentially being the end of the career. I actually found, I thought the maybe the opposite. Like uh, no one wants a concussion, but perhaps this actually prolongs his career. If he were, had, you know, a really bad series in India, then it would be really hard to pick him in England. But if he has a, sits a little bit out with concussion and with the, with the fracture, it might actually just sort of get him back into the form um, and, and give him time to get back into form in England. And I still think he has a bit to give. So I actually felt the opposite about that. Pat Cummins, I cannot believe the reaction overnight, particularly on social media, and how cruel some people were. I mean, he's flying home. You can think whatever you want about the shot that he played and his fielding and, and the field placements and whatever. That's fair things to be critical about but I saw some really nasty comments about him flying home and I just thought oh my goodness it's a personal reason why who are we to judge that and I don't know this hate towards Pat Cummins lately is really like the epitome of tall poppy syndrome to me yeah it's it's a weird one um uh, hey social media is social media is a weird one isn't it now the dragons so a couple of players get home at six o'clock to the old motel at Mudgee um, they've had a few, and they have a bit of a scuffle. Is there any further fallout to this aside from the fact that it's not a good look for a team that's just got dusted up in the charity shield, and we've seen this movie before at this club? Yeah, well, the Dragons are now going to look at um, disciplinary action, and I, I guess it's just not a good look for a club that's, number one, struggling on the field, but also just seems to be in that area at the moment where there's constant rumours and this constant talk of bad culture. 
just not really a good look, is it? I don't think in an isolated incident it's probably that big of a deal, just two teammates getting a little bit heated with each other. If, as the Dragons officials say, no one you know, threw any punches or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, certainly not a good look. Uh, and particularly when you've trusted the players to go out and, and have a good time, given they do have a long break with the first round bye, you kind of lose that trust a little bit. You don't want to be doing that mm. in the first hey, you know, week. Yeah, exactly. A final one before I let you go. Now, we posed the question this morning, are the Melbourne Storm in danger of missing out on the top eight? Um, a little bit of news around or a little bit of whisper around this morning that perhaps Ryan Pappenhausen will be back later than expected. you got to go back to 2002 to find the last time the Storm weren't in the eight, aside from 2010 with the salary cap. Do you think there any danger of missing out on the top eight? No, and only because they were going to miss out on the top eight when Cooper Cronk left. They were going to miss out on the top eight when <laughs> Billy Plater left. They were going to miss out on the top yeah, eight Cameron when Smith. Cameron Smith left. So I, I will not be betting against that at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still sitting on that fence. Believe me. I, although you may have, you may have just turned me around. And for those reasons, that's why I'm sitting on the fence. If, if that club culture wasn't there, if that ability to bounce back when they miss out on big play or lose or players um, move on or retire, then it'd be a different conversation for me. But it's it's the classic case of write them off at your own peril. Good on you, Jaleesa. Thank you for all of that. Have yourself a good day. Thanks, Maddie. Have a good day. Jaleesa Apps joining us. 0457 736 736. Got a uh, stack of texts coming through about, well, the Melbourne Storm, about the Bulldogs, about Australia v India. We'll get to those after this. Our poll this morning on whether or not you think the Melbourne Storm are going to make the eight or miss out on the eight has certainly got you thinking, and it's running hot in favour of the Storm to be there, regardless of who's going to be there on the field or not. In fact, last time we checked, it was still, what, 8 out of 10? 80% plus. Yep, still 81% in favour of the Storm making the top eight. I'm not in that 81% yet. Yet. So maybe you can, what you can do is you can build an argument, put it into a nice little concise text and say, Maddie, you're a fool and this is why. (laughs) Please do the this is why thing. 0457 736 736. Good morning, Matt. This one uh, from our listener in Brizzy. The Melbourne Storm this season. Could you name one team that finished outside the top eight that would replace Melbourne in the top eight this season? I personally can't see any. Not to say a team outside the eight can't make it this season, but I doubt it will be at the expense of Melbourne. Well, I went through that. I went through that. Who did I have, Mark? I I ended up having six in and two that I would think could go in. I think the Raiders and the Storm, were they the two that you said? At the moment. At the moment. At the moment, yes. Yeah, because I think I think somewhere between the Broncos, Seagulls and Bulldogs, there might be two out of those three that make it up into the top eight. Again, build a compelling argument for me. Can you please help me make up my mind on this one? Because I am smack bang in the middle. I mean, it's going to have to happen sooner or later. Sure, take out Cooper Cronk, they still go. Take out Billy Slater, they still go. Take out Cameron Smith, they still go. And there's three fairly compelling reasons to say that they could go around again, whether or not Pap's there or Brandon Smith's there. But it's going to have to happen sooner or later. And are there other teams, to your point, Mel, on the text line, are there other teams who is the other team that would push them out? Not sure. On the cricket situation, my sons play cricket from five years old. 
and I taught him how to play defensively and patiently like a test player. But with the format of the young kids' games on Saturdays and reps on Sundays, it's all angled at being a T20 player and he gets outshined by the kids that whack it furiously, says the red-hot rooster. Well, I mean, that's, that's the kind of format that junior cricket at the moment is in, isn't it? And that's what's making waves for players. I mean, I think you're right there. You can teach kids as much as you want, but at the end of the day, kids will be influenced by what they're seeing and what they want to be. When I grew up, there was no T20s. I wanted to be a test player. That's who I wanted to be like. And then David Hooks came along and it was like, holy cow, this guy hits it like mad. I had the Hooks hurricane, Gray Nichols double scoop, twin scoop bat. It was fantastic. But regardless of what we want to teach them, the thing that's right in front of them is BBL and T20 cricket. But surely by the time you get to test level, regardless of who you've been influenced by when you're a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, surely if you make it to test level, you have the ability to adjust your game. And with all of the framework in place at the Australian Cricket or Cricket Australia, you should be able to do that under the coaching that they've gotten under the structure and the statistics and everything else that they do. 0457 736 736. Time for the news with Vanessa. Thanks, Vanessa. Phil on the text line says, I've got a 14-year-old son. Zero interest in test cricket. Test cricket will be dead within 10 years. Don't know about that, Phil. Not sure. I, I can understand why the 14-year-old son hasn't a great deal of interest in test cricket. It just goes too long, even though it goes a lot shorter than it used to. But in terms of when it's going to be dead, I think it's got a heck of a long way to go. It's already been going for a long, long time. Matty, look at what Baz McCullum is doing with the England Test team. Yep, Baz Ball, exciting Test cricket off the back of the T20 format. He is revolutionising Test cricket and the way it's played. Max from the Gong, thank you for that. No question about that. Try that in India. What happens? Try, that's, that's going to be one of the keys. I mean, try all of a sudden... Because we did ask at the very top, is it time to cool our jets is it, or is it time to revolutionise cricket in Australia? Is it time to go the basball approach? There's an argument to say they tried to go the basball approach the other day, tried to keep the scoring going over when they should have just slowed everything down and trying to keep things going by playing across the wicket on a low spinning wicket that India had and Jadeja going nuts with it ain't the right approach, whether it's basball, whether it's McDonald ball, whatever you want to call it. It was the wrong ball and the wrong shot. All right, Tommy, time for you to buy in on this Tuesday morning. He's got his two cents on the table. Morning, Matty. Good Listen, morning. Uh, it's not very revolutionary if we're just copying another team, is it? What, in terms of? In terms of just following someone else's plan and tactics. It's not very, it's not very revolutionary. <laughs> is it? Yeah, that's true. Well, they don't follow because it, it wasn't a team order. Oh, yeah, The sweep exactly. shot wasn't a team order, so that'd be, that'd be revolutionary. Still trying to work out where it came from. That's, I think that's going to be the biggest answer. I mean, the, the biggest answer that you could get, I think, out of what happened over there in Delhi, and we heard from Andrew McDonald earlier saying it, to say that that was a team approach would be completely wrong. Well, why did they all do it? That's what I don't get. It had, a directive, surely. Like, why, why does Matthew Kuhneman play that stroke if, if someone hasn't told him to do it? I get, Alex Carey's played it his whole test career, yeah. and he said... Uh, I, I think he said it before and after he made that Boxing Day century. He goes, well, it's worked for me in the past, so I'm going to keep going with it. And obviously you understand that. You don't want to take them out of their groove. If it's worked for them before, in their mind, it's going to work for them again. Although, then you can make the argument, well, 
you should change your tactics and you should change how you approach the game given the conditions, given where you're playing, given who you're playing and given the bowler that's coming at you, mm. I would think. I mean, I'm not a test cricketer, but that's just my, my thoughts. Well, somebody told him to sweep. Somebody told them to sweep. Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. <laughs> uh, Bondi Jack. Matty, you are a fool in capital letters. Storm will be there. Just look at the spine. Kafusi and Jay Brom were finished anyway. Cheers, uh, says Bondi Jack. So I asked it. I don't know if you heard, but I asked our listeners to please come up with a compelling answer as mm-hmm. to why the Melbourne Storm will be in the top eight and why I'm a fool to even consider them not being there. Well, why they will be there is on paper. And when they're all fit, they have the best spine in the NRL. Ryan Pappenhausen, Cameron Munster, Jerome Hughes, Harry Grant. Now that Appy Coruscant has gone, gone from Penrith, hands down, Melbourne Storm have the best spine in the NRL when they are all fit and firing on the park. Second reason, they have, I, I'd still make the argument, they have the best coach in the NRL, Craig Bellamy. He's been there, done that for 20 plus years. Um, so I'll, I'll put my chips and I'll back Bellamy. Third reason is, Bellamy, Frank Panisi, a host of other people behind the scenes have created a system where, as as you and Jaleesa mentioned before, no matter who comes in and who steps into that Storm jersey, they will play their role. Now, I think that went downhill a little bit last year. They had a little mid-season slot where they lost four games in a row after, I think it was after Origin, and everyone was questioning, all right, is the kind of the Storm party, is, is the air going out of the balloon, such and such. So I think there is definitely cause for concern and there is reason for concern especially if that report from Cody Kay does come to fruition and Ryan Happen, Ryan Pappenhausen won't be back to what, rounds 13 to 15? Then well, they're, they're, they're saying round one. 6. Yeah, they're saying round 6. Nobody seems to be bothered whatsoever. Nobody who, who's interacted with us this morning seems to be bothered whatsoever that Ryan Pappenhausen might not be there. It hasn't entered anybody's conversation. It's like, oh well, that's just half of the course at Melbourne, just take out Ryan Pappenhausen, we'll still make the eight. Is that not a concern? No, it is definitely a concern because you've got guys like, uh, there's a young player, Sewer, who's been playing yep. uh, fullback for them. He's very exciting. You've got Nick Meany there who was solid there last year. They also tried with Tyron Wishart um, at fullback there last year, but he's not a long-term option. So um, I think they're just, I think fans are just kind of used to it. They're used to the Storm's success, so they can't, unless like a guy like Cameron Munster or Jerome Hughes is then ruled out, then they can start to have serious concerns. But it's because the Melbourne Storm have been up for so long and because they've lost, you could make the argument, three future immortals, yet they are still very successful. So that's the reason why you give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm, on, I'm nearly on the boat with you about the Melbourne Storm. I am a little bit concerned. I was concerned before the Ryan Pappenhausen injury because um, even though Jesse Bromwich, Felice Cafusi and Kenny Bromwich were going down here the last few years, they're still very experienced forwards. Yeah. So you have to take that into account. Um, but, I mean, I had concerns about Pappenhausen last month when he said he hasn't, run, he hasn't run yet, and he still hasn't run. So if he hasn't run yet and it's February 21st, do I expect him to be back in six weeks? No, I don't. Or so, seven, it's seven weeks. So are you – I'm. Where, where are you? I'm, I'm, I probably are you believe, on the on the fence? No, but I probably believe that report <laughs> saying he – I would be surprised if he's back by at least round 10. Yeah. If, he has, if he's not running by Feb 21st, you – and they're not going to risk him. They would, they would have to wait for him to be back at 100% full fitness before they risk him. Because as you said, his patella was shattered into 10 pieces. That's a horrific injury. It takes a lot of time to come back from. So they will not rush Pappenhausen back whatsoever. Um, but just on the top eight. So there are some key statistics when looking at who comes in, who comes out. So a lot of the times the last few years, 
the teams that have made the top four mm-hmm. didn't make the top eight the previous season. So we had that last year with the Cowboys and the Sharks. Yep. They both didn't make the top eight in 2021, yet they make the top four in 2022. And you go back to in 2021, there was one team that made the top four from outside the top eight the year before. 2020, zero teams. 2019, 18, one team. 2017, two teams. One team, zero teams. So it goes back at least once in the past 10 to 11 years, a team from outside the top eight the year prior leaps into the top four for the following season. So my question to you is, and my question to the listeners is, who takes that leap this year? Who has that Cowboys and Sharks 2023? Ooh, that run. That run. That Sharks 2023 had a, season Sharks out had of, a good draw. Let's they did have a good draw, and they have got another good draw this year too. Yeah. Um, but history has shown that it can happen and it will happen. So who is the team that didn't make the finals in 2022 that can take the leap and make the top four in 2023? Right, so you're you're taking it to another level. I'm taking it to another Mate, level all because all because I've asked his, is, is Melbourne going to be there? Because history has shown that that can happen and that will happen. There's only been two times since 2010 yep. where it hasn't, hasn't happened. happened. It hasn't happened in a year. So forecast that it's going to happen. Mm. So some teams that could potentially do it: the Bulldogs, the West Tigers. Let me give you the bottom eight. Let me give you the bottom eight from last year. Yep. Right, and then tell me who do you think is going to stay in the bottom eight. Okay, easy, yep. So the bottom eight last year was the Broncos, Dragons, Manly, Bulldogs, Titans, Knights, Warriors, and Tigers. And let's not forget we got the Dolphins this year. But out of those eight, who do you think doesn't make the move? So guaranteed to, to stay in the bottom eight, yeah. I think the Warriors, I think the Newcastle Knights, I think the St. George Laura Dragons, I think you add on the Dolphins, they're the yep. new addition to the team. And then I think you can also lock in... Did I say the Newcastle Knights? Yep. I said the Newcastle Knights. Uh, the Gold Coast Titans, I'll say that as well. Okay. The rest are still up for contention. If I'm looking at a team that didn't make the finals in 2022, who can vault back into the top four this season, one of the, one team stands out, and you'll like it when I say this, it's the Manly Seagulls. Now, I also said last week on this program that I could see them finishing bottom four. Because it's such, because it is such a, because it, it's such a difference. You've got That's that right. one player. You've got Tom Draboyevich. If he's fit, they can make the t- top four. If he's not there and he's in and out, they can make bottom four. Mm. So I'm very, very wary of them. The West Tigers, could that happen? That's crazy. I don't, they've been the punching bag for a lot of jokes the past 10 years. So I don't know if they could make that leap. But another team, Matty John said it yesterday, the Brisbane Broncos. If I'm having my money on one team that didn't make finals in 2022 to make the top four in 2023, so Brisbane Broncos. Let us know your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. Smithy from Melbourne says, do you have Manly in your top eight? Because if you do, the Storm will finish on top of them. So Smithy's saying, if I've got Manly in there, mm-hmm. then Melbourne are going to finish over the top of them anyway, so I can't get rid of Melbourne. As of right now, I don't have Manly in my top eight. Mm. As of right now. Okay. When are we going to do our top eight? We'll do, do it, it next, next week. We'll do it next week. Next week. All right. Let us know your thoughts on that back after this. 13 minutes to 11 o'clock. Adam Peacock will join us in our next hour, hosting the global game tonight. And the Socceroos and Matildas both locking in games against England. Uh, Matildas in April and then the Socceroos over there at Wembley in October. So plenty to talk to Adam about. But let's talk about Greyhounds now with Rob McCauley from Greyhounds Racing New South Wales, the CEO who joins us on the line. There's a lot going on in his world as well. Good morning to you, Rob. 
Good morning, Matt. How do you do? Good, thanks. Fair bit happening in your world. Uh, last time we spoke, we covered a, a lot of ground and especially around the space of our police force members in New South Wales having access to greyhounds uh, through the adoption process. There's more to that, and I'll get to that in just a sec, but closer to home, you've got the Muscle Book Track uh, opening and you've also got your Greyhound of the Year awards coming up, so a busy time. It is really busy, Matt. We've got the Greyhound of the Year awards this Sunday. Uh, that'll be really fun. Uh, you know, there's there's four finalists for Greyhound of the Year, Good Odds, Cash, She's a Pearl, Super Estrella and Zipping Curios. All great dogs, great trainers, great owners. Um, it'll be a fun day. There's all of the other awards that go along with it, and it's a it's a great time, a great day for the industry to uh, take stock of the year past and for us to launch our calendar for the year forward. So I'm really looking forward to that. Are you finding with with so many of the innovations and so many of the big races, and and you just named a couple of those, what four of those dogs there? Are you finding now that the general public is is starting to attach themselves to the names and the dogs themselves probably more than ever before. I mean, if I went out and said, have you heard of She's a Pearl? Most people go, yeah, yeah, I know that dog. Are you finding that? We are, Matt. It's quite interesting, isn't it, that, um, that our sport is developing heroes, hero dogs and hero trainers along with it. And to some extent, we've always had sort of hero tracks like Dapto or Wentworth Park and some others. But we are certainly finding um, that specific dogs and specific trainers are becoming very well known mm. and sort of heroes or, or, or um, characters in their own right. 800,000, I think, was the upgrade planned for the Musselbrook track. Uh, I'm not sure where it ended up, but what, what's this going to do for, for your racing in New South Wales? We've invested uh, um, well into Musselbrook and uh, it's going to be a very good and safe track. We've upgraded all of the visit facilities at Musselbrook. We've got, we've now got a safe chase lure system in, which has never been there before. Uh, the, as you know, Matt, there's a very high density greyhound racing people in the upper hunter and so it's right in the heart of really the it is the highest density of greyhound participants in new south wales we're very excited we've got an opening on the 11th of march we're trying to get as many people along as as can come we'll have a soft opening um a, a test run if you like with the non-tab race meeting coming up and some trialling just to test out all of the equipment. But it's going to be a fun day and we're looking forward to, to launch with sort of at least 26 race meetings for uh, for next financial year at Musselbrook. So that'll be really fun. Yeah, fantastic. Now to this other side of greyhound racing and greyhounds as pets, and we know the investment into what happens with these dogs when they finish up racing. They make great pets and you've invested a lot in this. So when we last spoke, Rob, um, there was access for New South Wales police force members and those that need dogs um, throughout the course of their career or at the end of their career to be partners, essentially, to be there to help them through. And this has gone further to the Australian Federal Police Association. So can you talk us through this side? It's a, it's a really interesting human side of what you do. Yeah, so these dogs, as you know, Matt, make superb pets and they're a very um, close dog. They're a sort of lean-in dog. You know, they're always touching you and so people find them very personable and uh, there is a very strong attachment develops between 
um, between people with PTSD and their animals, and that is even a stronger attachment if the dog is trained especially for PTSD. So we were approached by the Australian Federal Police, who, who the Police Association, who expressed interest in matching their members with both dogs as pets, greyhounds as pets, and with greyhounds that are specially trained for PTSD. Now, we've never done PTSD training on for greyhounds before, and so we've entered into a very uh, exciting, I think, uh, relationship with the really, truly world-famous Steve Austin and his team. <laughs> not, not the $6 million dollar man. No, but it's a fabulous <laughs> name, isn't it, mate? <laughs> uh, he, he genuinely is the top of the game in animal training around the world. And Steve Austin and his wife, Vicky, have agreed to train the cream of our greyhound crop for PTSD dogs. So that'll be two types of PTSD dogs. Dogs that are generally um, attuned to PTSD. And then the, on top of that, the full-blown PTSD service dog. Now, they're specifically trained and matched up with individual people. So it's the people most in need of a service dog. That's people who might be deeply affected by PTSD. And typically they are people who have experienced you know, very bad things at work. Uh, so we're very excited to do that. It's a clear win-win. It's a win for the dog. It's a win for the retired police officer. It's a really good, exciting effort and we're very very pleased to to be getting into it yeah just another level uh good on you rob uh, there's always a lot going on so i'm sure we'll chat again soon and best of luck with the opening of musclebrook in particular that's a huge boost as well great to catch up thank you matt have a great day almost time for the news break with vanessa adam peacock joining us uh, after that to give us the details of the matildas and the socceroos and their English opponents, so matches against England lined up. It's big news in Australian football. A couple of texts before we get to the news. Good morning, Maddie. This one from Braden in Perth. I agree with yourself. I don't think we'll be surprised if the Storm are to drop out of the top eight, maybe even finish eight, but can't see them going any further. Uh, I think the Tigers and Bulldogs will surprise us all. Braden, that doesn't help me. It doesn't help me if they finish eight. <laughs> I need to know if they're going to be in the eight or out of the eight. But I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you for that. Another one, Mark from Wentworthville. I'm not convinced of the Cowboys or the Sharks being as good as they were in 2022. Also believe Parra won't be as strong as last year. Canberra will probably miss out. And the second team will come from the Sharks, Eels or the Cowboys. My Dragons to finish in the bottom four, if not the spoon. Thank you for that. Welcome back to the program and thanks for your company this morning on this uh, Tuesday morning. So 0457 736 736 is the text line or 1300 01 1170, our open line. Plenty of time for you to pick up the phone and give me a call and plenty of issues in front of us. Adam Peacock joining us soon. So we'll flesh out um, this good news coming out of Football Australia today about the Matildas and Socceroos both lining up big matches against England. Uh, one in April, one in October, but that is coming up soon. Let me get to some of these text messages before we get Adam on the phone. Uh, This one from Mike. How do you take the NRL integrity unit seriously? Last year, two Broncos got suspended for basically nothing. Now, this year, Whiten and Mitchell get arrested, no suspension. A couple of Saints are bluing at 6am, no worries. How about a little consistency? 
Uh, well, different cases, aren't they? Um, but consistency is that key word. And that's the first time we've seen it in discussions this year. It was that it was that word that drove us nuts last year. In fact, it was inconsistency, wasn't it? So uh, once the season started, and what are we, nine days away until round one gets underway, um, the word consistency and inconsistency off the back of it is something that's really going to, I think, pop up. But when it comes to off-field incidents, um, well, they all look different. And I, I'm, I'm not too convinced at all whether the – two Dragons players having an argument at 6am at a, a motel that they're staying at is worthy of any suspension. I'm, I don't know. I mean, the Dragons aren't happy about it and Dragons fans aren't happy about it. But like I said, it's not the biggest drama that they've got. Is it a bad look? Yeah, for sure. I, I think one of the big questions is um, going back and saying, yeah, yeah, go out and go for your life. You can have a few drinks because we've got a buy in round one. Uh, that's might be where the questions lie first and foremost. Melbourne Storm, good morning, Matty. If it was any other side with these injury woes, I'd say they were no chance. But this is the Melbourne Storm and Craig Bellamy has the Midas touch with the unknowns. I'm not game enough to write them off, but I see them finishing around 6th to 8th, says Statsy from Freshy. Thank you, Statsy. So you've got them in the 8th, but a little bit lower than where they finished last year, which was... Fifth, I don't know. I, I'm still not convinced. Uh, Cuzzy says we need tour matches, not 10-day breaks when it comes to Australia and India. So, well, we heard from Todd Greenberg earlier about the scheduling and about what that means for the players that are trying to fit in the three formats. And it's his belief that in five years we won't have any of those players. So scheduling is a massive thing. And burnout is a huge thing. And the way that they manage modern-day cricketers, Cuzzy, is quite frankly, ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous to the point of it just looks ridiculous what they do, but that's what they do. The sports scientists are involved. Everybody's involved in it. They have a plan. The bowlers can only bowl a certain amount. If you're recovering from injury, you have to do this. That's the modern game. That's the way it is. And the tour matches in between are going to fly in the face of all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how they could say to a bowler, well, you're limited to 40 deliveries in the nets today. That's it. 20, whatever the number is. But by the way, we're playing a tour match uh, earlier, uh, later on in the week and we need you to fit, in, fit it in. When I had a chat with Stephen O'Keefe yesterday, Cuzzy, and if you missed it, you can catch it on our podcast, uh, he actually beat me to the answer because I was going to say to him, Socky, what's the fix? Like, what's the, what's the fix away from the technical fix of not trying to sweep ad nauseum? Because I think everybody agrees on that. And before I even asked the question, he said, now's the time for the team just get away. Go and experience India. Just get the heck away from everything. They've got a four-day break that's planned right now. So that's already been scheduled in. Do you take that out and make them do something else to try and turn the event around of what happened in the second test? I don't think that's really going to work. Or do you pile it on with another tour match? I'm not sure if that's going to work. So I can see what you're saying. They don't need these big breaks in between, but the schedule will demand that. And then they're going to look at what players they can give a rest for that. And therefore, they're going to look, is this the right time to send somebody home if they need to go home and get um, recuperation that's probably going to be better back here than it is sitting on the sidelines in Delhi. So a lot goes into that. It's a one massive matrix that they've got to try and work out. And that spreadsheet is what pops out at the end. 
I don't know if that's the right answer to all of it, but that's the modern game that they're into. On that, let's go to the open line. James is on the line. G'day, James. Morning, mate. Right, Cricket Australia, what they need to do is come up with a decision and stick to it. What's their main priority? Is it success in the, T, in the test team or the T20 or the one day? Obviously, in the last few days, all the passion and the complaints about how the test team's going compared to what the one day is, is nothing. So the test team should be the number one priority. We want to be world number one test team. We pick the 15, 17 squad test team players. They play shield games. They play the long format games. All right, you might have to pump their money up a little bit more. But then you have your, your short version games. They're, they're other players. That's it. And then <clears throat> if in case they say, okay, the IPL falls into a gap where they can, or they can with a, a four-week break, they can play for two weeks in the short term and make a few extra bucks, they do that. But the test team is the number one priority, and you're a test player, that's it. Well, that should be it. Shouldn't it? That that should be it, James. And I agree with you on that. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the Christmas tree of cricket, Test cricket should be sitting up on the top of that. And then the way that it used to pan out was one days would be below that, and then you'd have your T twenties once they started to come in. But it's inverse at the moment because of the money in the game. So to your original question, if you go to Cricket Australia and say what's more important, they'll say all three, because all three generate the cash. So now you've got to start asking yourself the question. Well, that's that's what they're trying to do. This is the thing, mate. They're trying to do it, aren't they? So good luck being the one that says, I'm happy. Imagine being the CEO that says, yeah, all right, you know what? Schedule's a bit too packed. Why don't we take ODIs out of it? You won't be in your job for long, will you? I mean, it's a, you're just going to go around in circles asking this question. But I think when it comes to, when it comes to players and individual choices – would you say on the whole, do you think that most players in Australia, in Australian men's cricket, do you think that most players have the ideal that test cricket is the top of the tree or do you think that that's even changed? I think most of them would say test cricket's the pinnacle, getting that baggy green cap. I mean, <clears throat> when I was a little kid, I'd love to have got one, been good enough to get one. I mean, I don't think there's any little kid in Australia or even old kids like me that was getting the opportunity. Would you have the opportunity of putting a baggy green cap on and walking out for a test match for Australia or playing in a T20 or getting a yellow baseball cap? Everyone would choose the baggy green over it at, at, at all, every yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, the good players have got to say, rightio, what, put their price. Don't say, oh, yeah, we'll do this. Put the, put it up the onus on the player saying, right, we're going to do this. You make your choice. Do you want to be a test player? Or do you want to be a one a short version player? And then they've got to make that decision. And then they've got to stick by it because then everyone knows you prefer the cash than the baggy green. And I think a lot of the public then would say, well, if you ain't got that pride to go and play in the baggy green, we'll get someone else who is willing to wear that baggy green with pride and die for it. Mm. It's an interesting question. Yeah, it's an interesting question, James. Yep, good on you, mate. Thank you for that. I appreciate that call. And and look, the games, everything's changed, right? There's there's no doubt about that. And the game has certainly changed. So remember when it used to be the case that you had to build your case to be 
an Australian test batter by making your runs in Sheffield Shield cricket. Go and get the runs in Shield cricket, and then you're in consideration to be part of that baggy green. Go and get your wickets in Shield cricket, then you're part of the conversation of whether or not you deserve to be in that Australian team. It's changed a little bit on that. In fact, it's changed a lot on that because of the different formats, because of the pack schedule, and now you've got players who can play a handful of first-class games and be selected for a baggy green. And you've got players who don't put together a mounting case of uh, a mountain of runs, if I can put it that way, in Sheffield Shield, but still get in the Australian Test team. So it's changed. Was it better off the other way? It was different and it was simpler. Was it better off? Not sure. Let me know your thoughts around that. Uh, The global game on tonight will have Adam Peacock in the chair with Broski alongside him. So Simon Hill having the evening off. Mr. Peacock is on the line. Good morning to you, Adam. Matty, yeah, uh, Simon must have a gig with his band. Yes. Might be opening for Harry Styles around the country. I'm not sure. He could be. Doing some shoeys over there somewhere. Um, Hey, you've got a fair bit to talk about. So I know that you're going to have Craig Goodwin um, as part of the show tonight, but you broke the news this morning, and we sat, uh, we saw this when we were pr- uh, preparing the show this morning. It's huge news, mate. Matildas and Socceroos yeah. with matches against England. So flesh it out for us. Yeah, unreal news. Uh, so basically, at the heart of it all, is Football Australia have gone to both the Graham Arnold and Tony Gustafson and the Matildas and Socceroos programs and said, "What do you want? How do you want to prepare for these tournaments? You big club?" And they're like, "Well." We've got to a stage where we could play friendlies against teams ranked 50 in the world, but why? Let's let's now test ourselves, especially from the Socceroos who, who went to the World Cup and improved themselves on the world stage and went within a whisker of, of pushing Argentina to extra time in that round of 16 game. So they've gone back and gone, right, oh, we'll put the feelers out. And these, these are complex negotiations because they're, they're, they're basically um, contracts per game so that each team has a certain amount of home games and away games to play in international friendly windows throughout the year, scattered throughout the year. And, and England had a spare one for their men in October. So Australia said, right, let's let's have a let's have an old school Australia but England battle at Wembley. And that, they jumped at that. And uh, the Matildas want to continue playing top level opposition before the World Cup um, in July. So they've locked in a game in April against um, the England women, the Lionesses, who are the European champions. And I have got them as favourites for the World Cup. So... Yeah, great, great cup of fixtures for our national teams. You mentioned you mentioned the World Cup and obviously the Matildas. So I see now that this will mean that the Matildas will have played eight of the top ten nations in the past two years once they get to to meet England here. So is this as a result? Because I can imagine how complex those negotiations would be. But is this as a result of the standings of the Australian men's and women's teams that we can have these conversations and lock these kind of games in? Yeah, well, firstly, the women's side, that, that that's an easy one to lock in because yeah. the, the respect is there and, and in concrete for the Matildas um, and hosting the World Cup. And it's great for them, eight of the top ten. So you go in there to the World Cup and there's no surprises. There's no, oh, we, we didn't play any enough against top-level opposition to find out where we're really at. Well, they'll, they'll have full exposure to that knowledge when they get to their opening game on July 20 against Ireland at Stadium Australia in Sydney at the World Cup. Um, for the Socceroos, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if we get bounced out in the group stage and don't win a game, I'm not entirely sure we are able to lock in a fixture like this yeah. against England. We, we might have been able to, but it certainly helps the notoriety of Australian football performing at a World Cup. And you look at Harry Suter. So he he's 
cause of being a Premier League footballer or hope of being a Premier League footballer is exponentially helped by his performances there. And Brendan Rodgers knew about him at Leicester City before the tournament, but absolutely wanted him out of the tournament. So that, that's what happens when you perform at a World Cup. Mm. Um, good things happen in, in many strains. Yeah, exactly. And playing at Wembley Stadium. So I'm surprised Socceroos have never played there, never played an international league. Yeah. So back in the day, a lot of like England toured here a lot. Um, I remember in 1991, there was a game at the now Allianz Stadium in front of a packed house. Um, and a few other times in the 80s, we played at the old sports ground, I reckon. Um, but two games in England, one in Sunderland in 2016, when England were moving their national team games around. Another one in 2003, a famous night at Upton Park, where Harry Kuehl and co tore England to shreds in the first oh, half yeah. in particular. Um, and there was some fantastic tabloid journalism on the front pages of the English papers the next day. I think one of them said kangapoo. Um, so <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of history there, but to play at Wembley, um, yeah, fantastic. So a huge occasion for um, for the Socceroos and, and an earned one as well. Yeah. Do we know any details around broadcast? Anything around that? Uh Oh, it'll be on. It'll be. I'd say it's part of the Channel Ten deal. Yeah. So it'll be on Channel Ten early hours of the morning. Have we clicked into? Yeah, we would have clicked into a bit of daylight saving. So I think the kickoff they said for the um, Matildas game and the Socceroos game, seven thirty, seven forty-five over in England. So the Matildas game, oh, that'll be early, early. Um, but by the time daylight saving kicks in for us, it's. Uh, for the Socceroos, it'll be a bit better. But, yeah, early starts, but worth getting up for those two. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you'll cover that tonight on the Global Game. Um, A-League, I see that Warren Moon's been sacked from the Brisbane Roar effective immediately. And when you start to get the kind of losses that he's had uh, over the the recent past, the writing must have been on the wall. So what do they do next? Yeah, they've appointed, it seems, I don't know if it's an interim basis. Um, a, a man I don't know too much about, Alex Green, um, who's out of the local scene up there, uh, which flies against what I thought they might have been able to do. That They had a few options, I would have thought, with the local scene up there and, and um, guys with a lot better, bigger reputation. Ben Kahn is one. Um, Adam Pettick is, a, is another that's been around the scene up there, but they've gone for, for Alex Green. But Warren Moon, yeah, he's... Good guy. He, he did all he could. I mean, the resources at that football club have, well, yeah, leave a lot to be desired because they don't have a training ground. They don't have a home ground. Or they play up at Redcliffe, which is basically like a Sydney team playing in Barara. Um, I, I just don't understand where that football club's going. And, and I feel a bit for Warren Moon, who yeah, tried his best and he brought a lot of local players through the system up there at Brisbane Raw. But when you compare Brisbane Raw to what they were 10 years ago in winning a third championship in four years, it was, and they were playing in front of big crowds at Suncorp Stadium to where they are now, totally different football club, unfortunately. Yeah. And you go out with a draw as well. I mean, you you can kind of wear it if you get sacked after a loss, but a draw, I mean, that's got to, that's got to hurt, doesn't it? But uh, we'll see what they do. All right, mate. So Craig Goodwin on the line tonight with you. Broski alongside you as well. We look forward to that from 9 o'clock. Thanks for your time this morning. Sounds good. Cheers, mate. Adam Peacock there with the global game this evening. Yeah, Warren Moon. So 22 wins, 22 draws, and 31 losses from his 75 matches in charge. Um and they've certainly had it stacked against them. Don't forget about the Bryden's Lawyers, your verdict. 
competition. You pick one NRL winner each week for your chance to win $2,500. It's pretty straightforward. Go to sensurvivor.com.au, sensurvivor.com.au. Let's get to some of these text messages. It's 26 minutes after 11 o'clock. Maddie, this is from the Concerned Cricket Tragic. Are we listening to Andrew McDonald or Ronald McDonald? Uh, why is it that the average Shield players are in seats of power in the Australian setup? He and Bailey and Dottomade are way over their heads. They're sending Australian cricket back to the 80s. Uh, I'm gobsmacked, says the concerned cricket tragic. Uh, thank you for that. Is Andrew McDonald right in saying that there is no game plan and the players are making their own decisions? Then what is the actual purpose of having a coach? We can clearly see Basball has influenced England, but Macca has no imprint on this team. It's like the players are running the ship, says Craig from Emu Plains. Well, a lot of people have said that, Craig, and I don't think that the comments that uh, Andrew McDonald made to Barat Sundarason about the tactics sort of help change that judgment. Let's have a listen to that. No, we, we don't necessarily have sort of team batting plans. It's more individual. Yeah, to say that it was a team plan to go out there and play that way would be false. I think a few players got away from what makes them really good players um, in that moment. And, you know, was it pressure or was it perceived pressure? I'm not sure. Or were we just hurrying towards that total that we wanted to to set up for, for, for India to, to chase and to have great pressure on them. So it'll, it'll be a combination of factors, um, but ultimately there's some poor decisions. Yeah, it's, it's a balance, I think, defence and, and attack. So probably got the balance wrong. It, was it pressure or perceived pressure? <laughs> I, <laughs> can somebody please explain? And if that wasn't a team plan, what was the team plan? Did they not have a team plan? So if that wasn't the team plan, then... Perhaps we need to know what it was. I've got respect for Andrew McDonald. Now, I'm not going to buy into the old, oh, you know, the Australians are soft because Justin Langer isn't there, all that kind of stuff. It's, that's gone. That's in the past. But I don't understand that. I, I don't understand what you what purpose that serves by saying, well, to say that that was a team plan that we followed would be wrong. What was the team plan? If that wasn't the team plan, then what on earth was it? It was a whole stack of individuals making their own choices that were clearly wrong, but making the same choices as those that were made before them, which were clearly wrong. It's it's staggering to believe. The, the debrief will be done in-house, and so it should be. We can have our opinions, and so we should. But it's hard to wrap your head around it when you hear that kind of stuff. Pressure is perceived pressure, and I, I, I don't know what happened thereafter. I sort of tuned out after that. All I heard was quite literally crickets. Uh, Matt, test cricket changed because of T20. We flourished when David Warner was hitting close to 100 in a session. Basball has taken that to a new level. So there seems much more pressure on the top order to play open shots than grind it out, says the red-hot rooster. I agree with you that test cricket has changed because of T20, and I think test cricket's changed for the better because of T20. I think test cricket, whilst the matches... The, the, the remaining thing for me that's left in... Uh, test cricket to change, get rid of five-day tests because the modern format, the modern game has made it almost impossible to take it out that long because of influences like T20, because we can wrap things up quickly, because we can get big scores on the board, score at more runs per over, play ramp shots, play reverse sweeps when we play them well. But I think that that's right. I think T20 has changed the game and what T20 has brought is a whole heap of excitement that perhaps... 
test cricket was starting to lose at a rapid rate. So the next step is change the format of the game, just drop the final day because we don't need it. But is it changing it for the worse? When you look at the outcome from the other day, trying to play shots, I mean, it does not negate from the fact that when you're playing test cricket on a slow, low-turning pitch in India, chances are you've got more likelihood of getting out trying a risky sweep shot than you do a straight defensive shot. Now, is that a mindset thing, an attitude thing, a statistical thing, a coach thing? That's what they're going to have to work out. Here's Vanessa. Uh, thank you to Brendan from Guildford for the text. He says, Maddie, I received my Signet Power Bank. Firstly, thanks to you and SEN. It's a wonderful gadget. However, it works too well. You know this, Mark. You've got stacks of them. Usually when my seven-year-old daughter's iPad runs out of battery, it's normally bedtime. But now she's discovered the Signet, her iPad remains charged, meaning less mum and dad time, causing a little problem in brackets if you get my drift, he says. All jokes aside, mate, I really appreciate the prize and it'll get great use. Regards. Uh, thank you for that. Brendan, yes, mine's uh, perched in my backpack there. Keeps me absolutely going. Let's go to the open line. Shane from Marrickville. Can you can you convince me that the Melbourne Storm are going to be in the top eight, Shane? Matty, every time I hear <laughs> the Storm are going to, it's the end of an era or they're going to miss the top eight or whatever, my eyes glaze over and I start to yawn. Yeah, It's the same stuff every year, year after year. Don't the journals get sick of writing about it? Well, I don't know if anyone's written about it. I, I just chucked it out there because I, I'll tell you how this happened this morning. We were we saw the news about Ryan Pappenhausen. Mm-hmm. We saw the tweet about Ryan Pappenhausen. I went, oh, that's – and I said, I turned around and I said to Tommy, I said, mate, I'm worried about the Storm this year making the eighth. And he went, what, yeah. really? So then we decided to throw it out to you guys. So so I'll, I'm going to back my journo mates here. Nobody's put it in headlines, but I'm hearing what you're saying. It's, a, it's an annual chat. It's got to happen sooner or later. Well, it's not going to happen this year. Look, <laughs> what Bellamy's done what Bellamy's done in the last 20 years is remarkable. He keeps recreating this site. They keep writing off. They keep coming back. And I'll tell you what, it even goes back further than Bellamy. Do you remember the 99 grand final? They lost um, Scotty Hill and Robbie Kearns, and they yeah. still won the comp. They come from third spot. It was the greatest comeback in grand final history. What Rupert Murdoch and John Repo de Brassac did, the greatest oh. visionaries, in my opinion, in the game, yes. did putting this together. They wanted this purple machine to last for generations. They based it on Bayern Munich, Manchester United and Real Madrid. They knew this side would be around long after those two blokes are gone and they will haunt every other team in the NRL competition from here on till eternity. Oh, mate. So I'm, while you're talking and, you, and you're arguing this case so well, I'm, I'm A, writing down your phone number that we've got on the system just in case I need some legal help in the future, and B, I'm putting the storm closer towards putting him back in the top eight. And thank you for putting out Jonathan Rebo de Bressac. That's There's a name that a lot of people won't remember. They just stop at the Rebo part. But uh, he, he had that for quite a while when he was playing. He, he actually, did, and he, he was a very good footballer. He was a very good footballer. Yeah, very good footballer. Mm. And and a lot of people forget that that he used the full name when he was there, but that's going by the by. So you've got him locked in. You've you've put forward a very compelling argument, and I'm hearing all of it. I'm still worried about him, though. I'm still worried well, about him this season. Matty, we get Tarek Sims back. We get Justin Olin back. We get uh, Pappenhausen back, and we'll fly into the top four. And we might even shock the world. Oh, okay. You got the Eels first up, round one. Um, that'll be at Combank. Your first home games against the Bulldogs. We don't know what they're capable of 
this season. Then you've got the Titans, West Tigers, Rabbitohs, and then you get to round six, which will be the Roosters. And that, at the moment, is the return date that they're hoping for for Ryan Pappenhausen. Shane, good on you, mate. Appreciate the call. Thank you for taking the time to buzz in on the program. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. I think he might have – he's almost changed my mind, Tommy. You swerved again. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, like, don't sit behind me on the freeway on this one because I am going from lane to lane and I don't know which one I'm going to end up in. But I'm still, I'm still worried about him. I'm still definitely worried about him. Well, we can, yeah, we've always got to worry about them and we listed the reasons why we should worry about them um, last hour. I mean, Andrew's got me back on another one. I'm, I'm now swerving again because Andrew from Newcastle <laughs> says, the storm are done. Look how they finished 2022. Bellamy looks tired and maybe stayed one year too long. I'm back in the middle lane. I'm Does back. he look tired? I mean, he always keeps, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to say plan us along, but he's always like, all right, one more year. We'll decide at the end of the year, one more year. Because yeah. he's, he's constantly said he wants to spend more time with his grandkids, spend more time with his family as a whole. He's been there, what, I think 20 years now. This is the 20-year anniversary of him at the Melbourne Storm. So it's got to end sometime, Matty. All, th- all good things come to an end. So when's it going to end for Craig Bellamy in the Melbourne Storm? Who knows? Maybe it's 2023. Gary poses a very different question. Um, not anything to do with rugby league. He says, Matty, it's good to see our men and women surfers going okay. The thing I've found with surfing is you never hear someone say, I was robbed. The judges got it wrong. Uh, they seem to get it right. See, I don't follow surfing close, closely enough. We've got to get Gibbo in the yeah. panels, the drive show, um, the run home show. Uh, the, surfing's interesting because that's very, it's subjective. Mm. You're not playing to a clock. You're not playing to a point scoring system. Um, you're playing the judges there. That's why there's some events, you know, the Olympics, like some events where I, I just couldn't do it because you're at the volition of someone else or a, or a panel of someone else. Could you be a diver? No. Oh, no. I don't have the athletic capabilities <laughs> to be a diver. If you were a diver, would you be off the springboard or the high tower? High tower. You want to get that height. <coughs> yeah. Would you? Yeah. It'd be mm. cool. All right. You're mad. I'd be just, just go the springboard. It's over and done with easy. Yeah, but it's a bit of fun going off the very top. (laughs) Hey, um, you brought up just last segment about um, test matches. Should they be done within four days or not? I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. I mean, I think the only time where a test match will go to five days if if there's rain or if somehow the two teams score 500 plus in the first innings. And then shock horror, it's going to end in a draw because we'd run out of time. So I don't think – and so I – I think if you restrict it to four days, it will allow for more exciting style of play from both teams. But also you look at the recent history of Australian test matches. So last two games in India finished within three days. The test series against South Africa, first test finished within two days. Second test finished within four days. The third test in Sydney only went five days because shock horror, rain. Um, I believe the first test against Sri Lanka this year, that was four days. Same with the second test in Sri Lanka this year. So, Odds on, it finishes within five days. I mean, you look back at the Ashes last year as well. I believe the Sydney test only went five days because of shock horror, rain in Sydney once again. So I would not be opposed to the ICC coming down and saying they're four days. But mm. then you've got to – I wonder what, and you've got to look at the big power players here, India, the BCII, what would they say about – well, four day test matches. I don't know what they'd Do say, pl- but I whatever think, they say goes. I think, yeah, exactly. 
talking about like sports science and you know resting players and this is that's kind of been the rise the last few years in all professional sports mm. you think players would be a fan of it would be would be pro four day test matches uh given it's a lesser load on their body well probably I mean, I I don't know. The the players have the power. Yes, that's that's the fact of the matter. Even though we, you know, overall in the game, when it comes to those massive decisions of the BCCI, will have the power. The England v New Zealand day and item went four days. Exactly, it only lasted four. Um, do the players would would the players? Does it make a difference? I mean, they're going to lock out five days anyway, so they just get the day off. Well, a big thing is a reduction in money. Because you got the TV broadcasters saying, "Well, hang on, if we're losing one day of um, content, which means one day of advertisement, then we're going to stop giving you so much Cricket Australia." Yeah. Which means Cricket Australia then have to review about how much they're giving to such and such players. But so it's, maybe it's been a players... while since they've got that fifth day exactly. advertising revenue. Exactly. But they, but they're still giving them the, the money for it. Mm. So. So you're selling. What you're so, saying is you're selling them as a five day adventure. Yes. But you're only getting three and a half or four days three and a half. action out of it. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be a little bit of tweaking. So maybe that. the players wouldn't be pro because it might hurt their pockets. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, anything else on your radar? Um, Dominic Young. Yes. Dominic Young to the Roosters. Just, yes. you know, it's just good to see the battlers in the NRL, mm. the Sydney Roosters, you know, the little guys, yep. just yep. get a win every once in a while. Yeah. You know, everyone's kind of, oh, the Penrith Panthers, the Melbourne Storm, the Brisbane Broncos, these big clubs who get these big third party deals. Um, it's good that the Sydney Roosters, who everyone, I think it's everyone's second team. I think all NRL fans would say, you know, Roosters, if my team doesn't make it, I hope the Roosters win another premiership this year just because I really like their players. I really like how they go about their business. Nick Politis is just a genuine and really good leader. So it's just good that Dominic Young is um, is joining a team for the little guys. Do you not agree with me? We couldn't find any. Oh. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I was do you think I'm joking? I was hoping we'd find some violin music. I, t- I checked out after you said the Roosters and the Battlers. That's where do you, I... Do you think, and, you know, I'm, I'm saying this genuinely because I ruled out the possibility of a Roosters backline in 2024 looking like this. James Tedesco at the back, Dominic Young and Daniel Tupo on the wings and Joseph Swaley and Joey Manu in the centres. I think that's, that's wishful. I don't think, even though they are the Roosters, I don't think they can fit all of them under the cap. I think this is Jared Rory Hargreaves last year. So there's some money there. But I don't think all five of them can be on the same team at one at, yeah. at one point. What all do you right. think? Do you think that can happen? I don't think it can. Hey, I think it's either it's Joseph, roosters, Joseph Swaley or Daniel Tupo. One of them has to go. Tupo turns 32 in June. Could he retire? Finishes the club's leading try scorer. Anything's possible. Nice work. I thought the season started in nine days, but for Jimmy Smith, it started now because he's got his he's got his lanyard around his neck. He's got his accreditation for season twenty twenty three with all sorts of letters there. Yes. Where can you get? You can get everywhere. I thought it stood for something. F O F for food. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what it stands for. F O J. Uh, what? <laughs> F-O-J-S. What are they trying to say to me? I don't know. Uh, yes. Right, well, that's a good way. You're not going to lose it. Field of play. As field we get play, ready. How are you, mate? That's it. I'm very well. I'm just wondering, Matty, yes. I had the day off yesterday. I yes. had an exam that I had to do. So I just wanted – did anyone have anything to say about the cricket? An exam? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. had an exam. So I had to study. How'd you go? Oh, I haven't got the results yet, but right. <laughs> I was one of those people that walked out going, yeah, really confident. With, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll let you know when I get the results. Yeah, really Sometimes confident. that confidence of mine yeah. is really misplaced. Nobody, no, no, there wasn't much talk about sweep shots. No, or, okay. Yeah, I or heard a little bit of or, you. I heard a little bit of you yesterday. Yep. And it was like, it was the five sweep shots. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thing for me is, and, and you'll, you'll appreciate this, the thing for me is, as you well know, they live in laptops now. So, so much more than we think. Mm. So that coach's box is up there whirring away at statistics and yep. there's all sorts yep. of people doing it, which is fantastic. The science around it's fantastic. What I can't get my head around is if you know that India are sweep shot percentage operating at 1.3%, yep. why would Australia go, A, anywhere near above that and, B, 10 times above that? Yeah, Theirs was 107 so if they've got all these statistics in front of them, why on earth were they not listening or having a look at that? So what's happening in the dressing shed too? Like, you know what it's like. You, you've been inside a cricket dressing. What's happening in the dressing shed going, oh, I reckon we should ditch the sweep shot. Mm. At what point does that, is that a conversation piece between the next batsman in, the coach and the bloke who just got out sweeping? Well, Andrew McDonald reckons it wasn't a team philosophy. So exactly. If they're going, hang on, why is he sweeping? Yeah. Look what's happened now. So... You play cricket, you, you know exactly what it's like. So say you get out, yep. right? You're out there, I'm next in. You get out, you're sweeping. Mm. The thing's hanging low, the pitch is doing all sorts of stuff, it's just not working. What do you reckon you're going to say to me as I'm walking out next time, as we cross paths? Well, well the, absolutely. So, but finding a solution when you're crossing paths in a test match is probably leaving it a little, <laughs> a little late. bit late. I get uh, that. And, and people talk about all sorts of preparation. I get that, but, it be, but you know what I'm saying. If, yeah. I come, if you're yeah. still batting out there and I come out, the first thing you're going to say to me, mate, this thing is low. It's doing all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. I reckon. And by the way, did you see um, Smudge got out that way? X got out that way. Y got out that way. Why don't we just hang here and just play it straight for a while? So they were one for sixty. Going into the third day, so yep. one for sixty in front, sixty in front, yep. one for sixty, and and what's going to be competitive on that? One fifty, one sixty. That's that's what you had to. Don't even use the language. Scram. I'm going to play mm. a grab from Andrew McDonald. You might have played it as well, but it's just I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, you are shot to pieces mentally. Yeah. Was shot to the, pieces. Was this the pressure or perceived pressure one? Uh, no, this was the one about, oh, and here we are. <laughs> We're playing it at this game and uh, this ground, and they've won 44 of the last 46 here. It's like, how to talk myself and my team out of a win, yeah. 101. <laughs> it's weird. It's definitely weird. I mean, something's going on, but I totally agree with you. If, you, if you're trying to fix things on the run – then it's a little bit too late. Matt Hayden didn't sweep. Then he he, he struggled in India. Then he found a way. Why? Because he spent a winter sweeping. Mm. He spent a winter doing it. Not four days in the lead up to the first test match. Mm. Like, that's what he did. Now, I know he doesn't make sense now when he commentates, but what he did was he swept <laughs> for a winter. And that's the difference. What was going on with the pink cowboy hat? I really struggle with that. I can't work on that. Uh, Now, quickly, before we get to what's on your show, (laughs) I posed the question this morning, Mm. did the Melbourne Storm make the top eight this year? Why would you pose a question like that? Just just to upset upset people? No, no, just to get smashed (laughs) for the last three hours. (laughs) And it worked beautifully. Right. What's your rationale? I'm not convinced that they can hang on to a top eight spot this year. Mm. When you take a look at who's not going to be there, I'm convinced in their culture, I'm convinced in what they've got and what they've built and all that kind of stuff, and I'm convinced in their history, no doubt about it. So I said, 
I'm a little bit worried that perhaps this year might be the year. Boy, there were some pretty compelling reasons to say you're a jerk. <laughs> I'm less worried if I'm a Melbourne Storm fan than I am if I'm a Dragons fan. However, yeah. we'll get to that, get to that. during yeah. the course of the next three hours. I, I think they're an absolute lock for the top eight. And, and three of the reasons are it's almost a reflection of how the rugby league is going. Like, let's just fill in the sp- places. Yeah, okay, we'll need someone up front. But essentially, Christian Welsh is a, a new player. So, yes, we, we lose all those forwards. But And Nelson Asifa-Solomon is still there. But nine, seven, six, and potentially one when Pappenhausen gets back. You've got three of the best players in the league, in top ten in the league, not, not in their team, in the league. Mm. They'll make it. Uh, pending... You know, Munster gets injured and then, you know, that that yeah. challenges any team. But yeah. all things being equal, storm marching. Yeah. I'm pretty certain that I knew that the egg was going to be on my face when I threw the <laughs> egg up in the air. Can't wait till bellyache sees you next. <laughs> <laughs> he just laugh. Keep on walking. So come back and talk to me when you've made the top eight 21 years in a row aside from the salary cap. Yeah, phenomenal. Tell you a story. Walking quick one, mate. What's coming up on your show? Steve Renoff talking Broncos, Paul Smith talking King, Scott Woodward talking anything and everything. Have a good one. Thanks, mate. That's it, folks. We are at the checkered flag, ready to hand over to Jimmy Smith. Don't forget to run home this afternoon, Joel. And the professor is uh, Fletchy back. Fletchy's back. Yeah, Fletchy is back. So rumour Tuesday was right. Rumour Tuesday had it that Fletch was back today. Well, Rumour Tuesday has already uh, got one in the bag. No problems. A couple of quick texts before I leave you. Webby will be joining me tomorrow. Uh, No need to change the test matches to four days. The way that test matches are played in today's T20 mindset, not too many games go to the fifth day anyway. So why not leave it at five days to cover for any wet weather? Not a bad thought, Um, especially if it's in Sydney. Andrew Webster joining me tomorrow, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, Jimmy Smith with a big program coming your way. Thank you for your company today, folks. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Have a great day.